All right. <laughs> May this meeting come to order. All right, just in a way a reminder, I know you've uh, got perfect memory, so you, you remember from last week, but uh, this is our final lesson in this series. So if you come next week, somebody will be here, but it won't be me. Uh, you'll, you'll be very welcome here. I'm sure you'll find a group to fit in with. But, uh, so this is our last lesson. Uh, it has really gone by fast, and uh, we will start another series in, here in February on Mondays for Lunch in February. And don't forget, on Wednesday nights in January, we'll, we'll be here as well in a series in Dan the book of Daniel. I don't know what I'm going to teach on Mondays yet, so uh, you can pray about that, and we'll see. Uh, but uh, today, the, our lesson is in uh, the book of Judges, chapter 13. It's the story of Samson, and you probably all saw the old movie with Samson and Delilah with Victor Mature and Hedy Lamar. And so if you saw that movie, your mind is warped, and you have a completely wrong idea about the story, I can assure you, when you actually see the real story. But uh, in our movie clip today, just like the Philistines discriminated against the Jews in today's lesson, uh, we see in Seinfeld, uh, Jerry is discriminating against someone as well. All right, the story of Samson in, at the end of the Samson story, Delilah as well. And I was thinking about Samson, you know, he's a big, strong, tough guy, and I was wondering, who can I liken him to? Who can I compare him to? And I heard somebody tell uh, Chuck Norris jokes. Have you ever heard Chuck Norris jokes? You know, the, the kung fu or the karate guy, you know? Uh, so I wrote down a few of them. When Chuck Norris does push-ups, he doesn't push up. He pushes the earth down. When Chuck Norris swims in the ocean, the sharks get in a steel cage. If you flip over China, it says made by Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris built Rome in a day. Chuck Norris made the most interesting man in the world drink Budweiser. See these... Chuck is tough. See, he's a, he's a tough guy. I've got about a hundred of those, but uh, we'll move on. <laughs> Chuck Swindoll, i never uh, forget, he told a story in one of his sermons about his granddaughter, Jessica, this little cute, smart, precocious uh, little girl. Everyone fussed over her and spoiled her and gave her things and on a car trip with Chuck, her brother touched her and she screamed and then later someone asked her to hand them something and he, she said, no, mine. She took another child's toy later, wouldn't give it back. Finally at the restaurant, she pitched a fit because she, they didn't get uh, to have pizza. So Chuck finally said, Jessica, stop that. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Jessica? And she looked at him with her big baby blue eyes and said, but granddaddy, don't you know, it's all about me. <laughs> and of course he laughed, but 
that's kind of been the condition of the human race. Ever since Adam and Eve, the original sin, that's the human race. It's all about me. It's all about me. And the more advantages that people have, the better looking they are, the more talent, the more God blesses them, it seems like the more spoiled they get. And the more their bad attitude is multiplied. It's all about me. I think that's what's wrong with a lot of these pro athletes that just, you know, go nuts and, and do all these things we read about in the paper every day because they've had every advantage, you know, they've been spoiled because everybody's given them stuff and catered to them and everything because they got so much talent. But the message here in today's lesson you'll see is it's not all about me. Samson will think it's all about him. He'll live like it's all about him but we'll see that it's all about God. Samson in the story is a miracle child and he is created for God's purposes. God uh, came to his mother and father, they, they were childless and barren, and he said, I'm gonna give you a son and I want you to dedicate him to me. And the text will say that God did this because he was gonna use Samson as a judge to, and get this quote, begin to deliver Israel. If you study the book of Judges, you know that there's uh, six or seven cycles in the book where the nation of Israel would go into total apostasy and idolatry, and then God would move to discipline them by allowing other nations to come in and, and pillage and plunder until after a number of years they would finally cry out to the Lord and confess their sin and repent. And then God would raise up a deliverer to help them and to drive out the enemy, and then they would live in peace for a period of time. Well, this is the last of those, those cycles in the book of Judges, and it had gotten progressively worse so bad that it, in this cycle of the story of Samson, the people, after God allows the Philistines to subjugate them and beat them down and take all their stuff, they don't even cry out to the Lord now. They just give up. And they're willing to be in subjection to the Philistines and allow them to be their masters and take all their stuff. And it looks like that they're going to cease to be a nation set apart. There is going to be no Israel unless somebody does something. Unless God intervenes, Israel is going to be assimilated into the Philistines. So sure enough, God had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph all the way down that Israel would be here forever. Somebody once said, give me one word that proves the Bible is true. And, and the guy said, oh, that's easy, Israel. <laughs> For the last 4,000 years, everybody has tried to wipe them out. And all those people, it, it began, you know, it, with uh, uh, Egypt tried to wipe them out, and then Assyria and Babylon, and then later the uh, Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, and then the Nazis. They're all gone, and Israel is still here. And why? Because God promised Abraham. And so God is going to intervene and raise up Samson 
to hold the Philistines at bay. Because the people don't repent, he's not going to deliver them this time. But it's his will, his sovereign will, that Israel exist and that the Philistines be eventually driven out. And we'll see that in 2 Samuel 8, the king, when David's king, uh, some years later, maybe 40 or 60 years later, David will deliver them from the Philistines and drive them back completely, and Israel will become a nation again. But God is going to use Samson here to hold them back, to restrain the Philistines so that Israel will continue to exist as a nation. So the setting, about 1100 B.C., and uh, Israel had a terrible defeat. The, the Philistines whipped them really bad. 30,000 Israelites were killed. The ark, their ark, they took it into battle against God's wishes, and they lost it. The Philistines took it. And you remember the story that God uh, brought some terrible plagues on the Philistines, so they figured out that it was the ark that was causing it, and so they loaded it up on a cart with some mules and said, yeah, go back, and they sent it back. And then when it got back to Israel, uh, Israel had apostatized so bad some guy said, well, this is interesting. This is pretty cool. And he put it in his garage for about 40 years until David became king and went and got it. So Israel is in bad shape. The country is demoralized. The mood is capitulation. We'll just try to coexist with the Philistines. We'll pay them tribute money, extortion money, and see if we can just survive this. Uh, so they're in danger of being assimilated, of ceasing to exist. But God has a plan to restrain the Philistines, and that's the point of Samson. That's why he raises up Samson. Now there's some uh, misconceptions in this story that everybody believes in because they saw the movie. Or if you're like me, when you were in the church as a kid, they gave you the little cartoon deals of this big strong guy, Samson, with you know the big head of hair and... Uh, he, he's a hero, you know, to all these kids, when in fact, if anything, he's an anti-hero. <laughs> At best, he's an anti-hero. He's really not a good guy, and you'll see as we go through the story. Uh, and as we go through the story and we see uh, the failings of Samson, the immorality of Samson, I want you to ask yourself a question. As you analyze Samson, I want you to analyze yourself. What would happen to you and I if, you know how we all, we all have fantasies about, you know, being great athlete or being the super rich person or any number of things, you know, uh, having this success or that success. If we had our way, we would have unrestrained success. Nothing but success. Nothing but good things happen to us if we had our own way. What would, what would we be like that? If nothing bad had ever happened, if you never had any accountability, if your parents never punished you, if you were so strong and powerful that nobody could do anything with you, there was no accountability whatsoever your whole life, and everybody told you how great you were your whole life, like they do Samson, what would you and I be like? What would we be like? we would be monsters. <laughs> we would be so spoiled rotten 
I mean, we would, I, I'm afraid we would be just like Samson. And so we're going to learn something about human nature here. Because what we all desire, you know, to have everything to be the smartest, the brightest, the strongest, the richest, that would be a bad thing. That would be a bad thing. And we'll see that what's really important is living for the Lord, and God has made us to live under his authority. We need to be accountable to him. We need to be obedient to God's law. Because without it, I guarantee you, we'd end up just like Samson is. That's who we are. So the next time you fantasize about being a superhero, you know, they have all those Marvel movies. They're all blockbusters because everybody wants to be like those superhero guys. Right? It's not just me, is it? Some of you are supposed to be going like this. Yeah, that's right. You guys are all going, nah, not, not, not me. Yeah. All right, so a, a couple of misgivings or misconceptions about Samson is people think his strength came from his hair. And as we go through the story, you'll see right before every great superhuman strength feat that he does, it says, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily so that he, and then he would do whatever it was. And it happens every time throughout these uh, chapter 13 through 16. So his strength didn't come from his hair. His strength came from the Lord. And at the end, when Delilah has the guy come in and cut his hair, he, he has just told Delilah what he thought was a lie. Yeah, if you cut my hair, my strength will go away. He doesn't believe that because the text says Samson got up and he assumed that he had his, his strength and would wipe out the Philistines like he had always done. But the Lord, he did not know that the Lord had left him, and so he had no strength. So his strength didn't come from his hair. His strength came from the Lord. God was sovereignly using him to afflict the Philistines and hold them at bay. Well, you're saying, well, then what's the deal with the long hair? Why didn't he ever cut his hair? Well, there's such a thing in the Bible uh, in the Mosaic Law, going back to Numbers, as the, called the Nazarite Vow. You can find it in Numbers chapter 6 if you want to look. And a Nazarite Vow, Moses said, uh, if you want to dedicate a certain period of time, like you're going to say, okay, for the next 30 days I'm going on a mission trip to China or India or Cuba or wherever, I'm going to dedicate myself to the Lord. And and Moses said, you can take a Nazarite vow, and in that vow, for that period of time, you will do certain four things. Number one, you will live a, a holy life set apart to the Lord. So you will be particularly obedient. We assume you are all the time, but during this period of time, you would really pay attention and make sure everything you were doing was for the Lord, living for Him, a holy life for the Lord. Secondly, you would never cut your hair during that period of time. Thirdly, no alcohol, no alcohol, no partying. Everybody went, well, that's not for me then. <laughs> Saw that. 
And then the fourth thing was you couldn't, you couldn't go near any dead bodies. You couldn't be around any dead bodies. And also in the Mosaic Law, if you were around any dead bodies, you would have to go to the priest at the temple and go through a cleansing ceremony if, if you were to do that. Well, the thing that's different here is that Samson, uh, his parents are told by the angel of the Lord that he needs to take a permanent Nazarite vow for his whole life. God is going to give them a miraculous birth, a miracle child, who is to take a Nazarite vow and live for the Lord his whole life. And so Samson is bound to those four things. Well, as we go through the story, you'll see him systematically break all of the four of those vows one after the other. And can you imagine what the last vow of the Nazarite vow, last part of the Nazarite vow that he breaks, what would you think that is? His hair. So when he finally breaks the whole thing, you know, all four at the end in the Delilah story, then God leaves him and takes away his strength. And the Philistines are able to grab him up and imprison him. All right, so misconceptions uh, in this story are, are, you know, pretty rampant. Uh, he's not a hero, but everybody always acts like he was a hero. You all, the stories you hear, he's a hero, but you'll see in the story, he, he's really not, not a hero at all. Uh, he's just a human being who's had every advantage and has uncontrollable strength, and no one's been able to discipline him or hold him accountable. So in chapter 13, we see the beginning. The sons of Israel again did evil. Here's that cycle we were talking about. In the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them. God is sovereignly involved in this whole thing. Because they made bad choices and apostatized, fell away from the Lord and into idolatry, God, and you say, well, golly, the Lord, the Old Testament, God sure is mean. No, no, not at all. God knows that this is de self-destructive behavior. So God acts to discipline them in order to bring them back. And so the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So they were afflicted. All their stuff was taken, you know, rape, pillage, plunder for 40 years. And then we have the, uh, the couple, Zorah, uh, of the tribe of Dan and Manoah, his wife. They had no children, and she was barren. The angel of the Lord appears to her and says, you're going to have a child, and I want him uh, to take a permanent Nazarite vow in verse 5. And then when, when he is old, old enough as an adult, I will use him to begin to deliver Israel. Begin. He's going to finally deliver Israel through David many years later, but what Samson's going to do, God's going to use him to do, is hold them back so that Israel survives as a nation. And so the rest of chapter 13 is their dialogue with the angel of the Lord about this child and uh, we won't take time. We've got a lot of ground to cover. So if you'll skip to verse 24. See, you didn't think I was going to make it through all four chapters, did you? <laughs> so in uh, 
Chapter 13, verse 24, the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. So God's with him, God's blessing him. And look what happens in 25. Now that he's an adult, God's going to do something. The spirit of the Lord began to stir him up. What does that mean? He's going to stir him up in the sense that he's going to want to go to where the Philistines are because God has got a plan that he is going to afflict the Philistines. He's going to whip up on them. And so he goes down uh, and, and at the end of chapter 13 to the area of the Philistines. And when Samson went down to Timnah in chapter 14, he sees a woman. Now, in my, uh, in my uh, mind, I see Samson looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his younger days. You know, the Terminator. Remember Arnold and the Terminator? And he's going to talk. You can see it in here. He's going to talk just like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's, he sees a women down there that he thinks are attractive, and he says, I like her. I will have her. <laughs> I must have her. I will take her. I will have this one also. And if he's mad at somebody, he says, I will slaughter them. <laughs> and, and that's what he does. So he comes back to his parents and says, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. I will have her. Now, his father and mother, uh, being uh, law-abiding Jews, say, look, uh, Moses had a law against marrying pagan idol worshipers. Why don't you look for, there's plenty of nice young girls among your own people. Why don't you marry one of them, find one of them? And he says, no, I like her. I will have her. And so we know what's really going on here is that God is going to use him to go down there and, uh, and really give it to the Philistines. So in verse 3, she, he says, she looks good to me. I will have her. Uh, and so his father and mother uh, didn't realize that this was of the Lord, that God wanted him to go down to the area of the Philistines because God was going to seek an occasion against the Philistines. He's going to use Samson to beat those guys up. So verse 5, Samson goes down to Timnah with his father and mother, and they came as far as the vineyards there, and Samson left them for a minute. And look at verse 6. Here it is, the repetition of this. He's getting ready to kill a lion with his bare hands. But before he does that, look what the text says. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Where did his strength come from? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore that lion apart, just ripped him up. And then he went down and talked to the woman that he was going to marry, and she looked good to Samson. And when he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion. Now, first of all, what was that part of the Nazarite vow? No dead bodies, no corpses. And if you're wondering, wonder why he didn't tell his parents about the lion, that's why, because he broke the vow. He doesn't want them to know, because if they know, they're going to insist that he goes to the temple and the priest and the cleansing and all that. And he doesn't care about that. 
And when he gets and sees the body of the lion, he sees that some bees have gotten in there, and they have nested up, and there's a big honeycomb. And so he says, that looks good to me. I will have it. And so he takes the honey out of the dead body and begins to eat it there in verse 9. And his father and mother come down after that, and they had some honey as well. And uh, when he gets to the wedding in verse 11 and 12, so he's now in the area of the Philistines, and they're going to have the wedding. And uh, the Philistines feel sorry for Samson because he's a, he's a lonely fellow. He has no friends. You can imagine a guy who's like Samson. I mean, you, it'd be tough to hang out with him because if you said anything at all that uh, he didn't like, he would just immediately pound you into the ground or something. So Samson was alone. They said, he needs some friends. He needs a best man. And so they provided him with some new BFFs, right? <laughs> best friends forever. And so he's got 30 of these uh, new young friends, and it's, the text says that uh, they, were gonna, they were at this feast. Well, the Hebrew word here actually says drinking party. It's used elsewhere for like an orgy or a drinking party. So does that ring any bells? Rule two of the Nazarite vow has officially been broken. He's at a drinking party, and as they're partying up and probably uh, a little high, uh, they start telling riddles and what have you and gambling. And Samson uh, gives them a riddle and, and, and makes a bet, gambles with them. Hey, I tell you what, if you can solve my riddle, I will pay you 30 changes of clothes, 30 outfits, brand new outfits from Colwell and Sons. <laughs> and so uh, if, if I... If you can do it, I'll pay you that. If you can't, you give me. Each one of you give me. And they go, that's a deal. Now you think, why would they jump on that bet so quickly? Because they know they're going to cheat, which they do. They immediately go to his new wife, who's going the bride, and says, uh, verse, if you look at it, look at verse 15. They tell his new wife, okay, uh, we want you to go to Samson and get the truth out of him about this riddle. And why would she do that? Because they say, if you don't, we're going to burn you alive. We're going to burn your house down and kill your parents. <laughs> nice guys. Nice friends they have. And so naturally, she doesn't want that to happen, so she gives them the answer there. And so they come back, and, and they tell the answer to the riddle Samson knows that they've cheated, and so he, he's all angry. Well, how's Samson going to pay this bet off? He doesn't have any money uh, to speak of. Uh, how's he going to buy all those nice, expensive clothes from Colwell? Well, he just camps out in the parking lot in front of Colwell, and every time some guy walks out with a nice outfit, boom, <laughs> and takes his clothes. And he kills 30 guys and takes their clothes and then pays the bet off. Read it. I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is not a good guy. But before he does that, notice again in verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. So where did he get the strength to do that, to kill these 30 guys? 
from the Lord. God is sovereignly using his evil to do good, which is to save Israel. All right? So he kills 30 random guys to steal their clothes. <laughs> and then, verse 30, while this is going on, he's off doing this, Samson's wife was given to his best man. Her father said, well, Samson's gone somewhere. I got the chance now to sell her, because that's what they did, a dowry deal, to sell her to somebody else. So he gets another dowry, and now she's going to marry this other guy. Well, you know they ain't going to make Samson happy. He's going to really be mad now. So after a while, in the time of the uh, wheat harvest, Samson comes back uh, looking for his wife, and he says in, verse, in chapter 15, I will go into my wife in her room. But the father said, no, she's now married to somebody else. So he's very unhappy about that, <laughs> to say the least. He's not happy at all. Uh, man, I've really got a bad deal now. And he's even going to say, look at verse 3. He's going to say, now when I kill a bunch of people, I'll be blameless. You know, I think before he knew what he was doing was wrong, but uh, this time he says, uh, I got the right to do this because of what they've done to me. It's all about personal revenge to him. But for the Lord, it's about afflicting the Philistines, about putting the fear into them. So uh, verse 4, Samson went out and caught 300 foxes. This story's really getting wild. Samson goes out and catches 300 foxes, and he took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail, tied the torches between their tails, lit the torches, and chased them through the fields and the vineyards so that they burned all the Philistines' crops and vineyards down. Now, in one of my other Bible studies, a guy got on his uh, electronic device and Googled foxes in Israel. Then he waved his hand. I said, yes, sir. He said, there are not 300 foxes in Israel. <laughs> and I said, not anymore. <laughs> he, he caught them. Well, you see how wild and crazy, you know, that's the, the title of this series, right? The wildest and craziest story. Why would it be? Why would the author, why in God's word would it have a story this wild and crazy? 300 foxes <laughs> and all this other stuff too. Well, the whole point of it is the power that God gave him and the sovereignty that God exercised. So the, the wilder and crazy the story is, the more it emphasizes the good that God's doing from all the craziness and the evil of the people in the story. So when all their crops are burned out, the Philistines, verse 6, is, who did this? Now they're outraged. And somebody says, Samson did this the son-in-law of the Timnite. So the Philistines went over to the Timnites and, and burned them out and killed them. And when Samson found out that his supposed wife and uh, 
mother and father-in-law are dead. He gets mad about that. In verse 7, he says, since they did that, I'm going to get some more revenge on those guys. And so he struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter. And then after that, so he killed a whole bunch more Philistines. And then he went back up to uh, the, the area of Dan and hid in a cave. And the Philistines got a big army together, went up there looking for him. They can't find him, so they go to some of the men of Judah right next to that and say, look, you guys, we got a treaty, and this Samson guy's broken it. We've come up here to get him, and if we can't get him, we're going to kill you. So the men of Judah go find Samson there in, in verse 11, and look what they say. They find Samson and they say, hey, don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? These guys don't want to be delivered. They're willing to live underneath the rule of the evil Philistines and take their religion and become idolaters as well. And so they're saying, do you want us to get killed, Samson? Are you going to be responsible for that? And Samson says, look, fine, just tie me up and hand me over to them to save yourself. Samson's not worried about it. He knows as strong as he is and the power that he has, nobody can mess with him. So he gives himself up. And he only says in verse 12, just make sure you guys don't stab me in the back. And they make that deal. So they bind him up, hand him over to the Philistines. Verse 14, look at verse 14. When he came to uh, a certain area, the Philistines shouted as they met him, and what happened? Did the hair grow longer so he got stronger because of the hair? What does it say? The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Here we go again. He's super strong because of the Lord. And he broke the ropes that were binding him, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. It's kind of shaped like a hatchet or something, you know. And a fresh one would be pretty hard. And so he takes that, that new weapon up and starts clubbing these guys. And he ha even composed a little poem here. He probably sang it when he got home. Samson says, I killed a thousand men with it. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps of Philistines. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. Now, looking at it, y'all, y'all don't seem near as curious as I am. But I thought, a thousand guys? You can't, really? I thought, wait a minute. How long would that take? And so I started thinking about that. I mean, if you got a thousand guys, one guy's going to kill them all. He, and it says heaps and heaps, piles and piles of bodies. So as he's like killing guys and piling them up, he's got to keep moving to the next pile. And the guy's got to keep, you know, he's got to keep moving around to kill all these guys. So I, I figured 20 seconds a guy. <laughs> now 20 seconds a guy is three per minute. That's 180 per hour. So to kill a thousand Philistines would take over five and a half hours. So for five and a half hours, he's pounding these guys and piling up dead bodies and going to the next. Again, an incredible...
incredibly wild and crazy story. Who would believe that anybody could do this? The only way you'd believe it if you knew, as it says, the Spirit of God came upon him mightily. This is the act of God to put the fear of God in the Philistines and to afflict them and to hold them back. And so what happens after five and a half hours of pounding, guys? You get thirsty. You get hungry. So he became very thirsty, and he called out to the Lord and said, so it's not like he doesn't believe in God. He does. <laughs> and he's so thirsty, and he can't find any water. So he prays to the Lord, Thou hast given this great deliverance by the hand of thy servant. So he knows it's the power of God. But he's taking it for granted like he always has and he always will. He's complacent. He expects God's favor. I'm thirsty. You're going to let me die of thirst? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi so that water came out of the rock and he drank it and his strength returned. So you have kind of a summary statement there. So he judged Israel. 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, that's an overall comprehensive judgment. I mean, in other words, he, God used them for 20 years. And then chapter 16, you have the famous story. Uh, first of all, it's two parts here. Uh, he goes down to the area of the Philistines. Gath was their, their capital. And he, again, he sees another woman that's attractive to him. And he says, I like her. I will have her. And he goes and lays with her, another prostitute probably, and the Philistines discover he's there, and so they organize a, a party to ambush him. And when he's leaving that night, he sees the ambush, and he, and he whips up on them, and he says, I'll fix them. All walled cities in those days to protect the city, and they would have gates, a very important part of that walled city to protect them. He rips the gates off and carries the gates away. <laughs> How can, who, could, who could do that? Who's got the strength? To, I mean, this thing's probably weighed 1,000 pounds or something. Samson, because God gave him the strength to do it. The next episode, he goes to another woman. This is Delilah, who you're familiar with because you, you know Hedy Lamar in the movie. <laughs> this guy here had a big crush on Hedy Lamar, I can tell. He's boy. <laughs> All right, so the lords of the Philistines, he's in there with uh, Delilah, X-rated, and the lords of the Philistines came up and said, okay, we know this guy's hooked up with you. We can't handle him. Maybe you can find out the source of his strength. Enticed him. How's Delilah going to entice him? <laughs> and if you do, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver, so it's pretty obvious they're going to make her rich beyond her wildest dreams. I don't see any heroes in this story, do you? We haven't found a hero yet. That's because God is the only hero. All right? So Delilah, uh, three times she comes and says, what's the source of your strength? If you love me, you'll tell me. He tells her lies three times, and it doesn't work. 
So sure enough, she comes back in verse 15. And the oldest trick in the book, she says, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me and you won't tell me all the truth? You've told me all these lies. So she's basically saying, you know, no more whoopee unless you tell me the source of your strength. And so he finally uh, says, well, I took a Nazarite vow to God, verse 17, not to cut my hair. Like I said, he doesn't even believe that's what that is. That's just another lie. And so what she did, she called a guy in to cut his hair while he's asleep. And she yells out, verse 20, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, wake up. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. So he didn't think that he was weak. Just because his hair's gone, it didn't occur to him. So that wasn't, he didn't connect that. And the text says, why was he weak? He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. That's the problem. He did not know that the Lord had departed. So his strength is taken away by the Lord. He's broken all four parts of the Nazarite vow that he made to the Lord. And the, the Philistines gather him up, gouge out his eyes. <laughs> These are not nice people. <laughs> and they chain him up and make him hard labor. And then they're at a big party at their temple big orgy, all the leaders, and they're getting drunk, and they say, you know what would be cool? Bring that Samson guy in here that we used to all be so scared of, and let's torture him a little bit and make fun of him. And so they bring him in there, and they happen to chain him up to the two load-bearing pillars that hold <laughs> up the foundation of the temple. And Samson cries out, in verse 28, O oh Lord, give me strength just one more time so that I can pull this place down and kill all these Philistines with me. And he does, uh, but you can see in verse 28, once again, to Samson, it's all about him. He says, so I can take my vengeance for them gouging out my eyes. So Samson is pretty selfish all the way until the end. But they're wiped out when he pulls the whole temple down, he and all the Philistines with him. And so he, he put together a great slaughter upon them. Again, God afflicted the Philistines to hold them back, and God has accomplished all of his sovereign purpose that he raised Samson up to accomplish. Let me close with uh, going back to our original thought about it's all about me, <laughs> which is human nature. It's all about me. Do you ever read Rick Warren's book, that best-selling book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life? And the big question in the book is, what's our purpose? What are we doing here? Isn't that important to know that? And Rick Warren said, uh, it, in, in life, we need to know what our purpose is, and our purpose is, is not all about ourselves. It's about God. It's about serving the Lord. And unless you believe in God and have a relationship with God through Christ, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. 
you'll never find it. You'll never know. Without God, everyone lives, acts, and thinks like it's all about me. I saw another story, a philosophy, a philosophy professor at Illinois wrote to 250 philosophers, scientists, and intellectuals asking the question, what is the meaning of life? And put a self-addressed envelope in there. He got something back from almost all of them, but they were all in four categories, four categories they fell into. Number one was, well, my best guess is, and they would put something, Secondly, second category, nobody knows. Thirdly, there is no meaning. And the fourth category, if you figure it out, tell me. What does that tell you? People don't know what their meaning and purpose is. How could they? Because as we said in the beginning, we were created to live in under the authority of God and obey his commands, serve him, and have a loving relationship with him. God created us in his image to do that, to serve him and glorify him. That's our purpose. Solomon said in Proverbs 16, the Lord has made everything for his own purpose including us. Remember our story, uh, Jacob wrestling with God a couple of weeks ago? Same, same deal. He fought life his whole life. He was fighting everybody and all these problems he had, and he finally at the end finds out his real struggle is against God. That's where he's struggling. He finally gives up there at the Jabbok River. How can we just like Jacob, how can we who are alienated from God ever find our way back? How can the human race that is alienated from God because of sin ever find their way back? Paul answers that question at the end of uh, Romans 7. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are given, God has given us a way back to have that meaning and purpose he created to have. He's given us a way back to eternal life through Jesus Christ. His atoning work on the cross atones for our sin. Our relationship is mended. And now we have meaning and purpose through Christ as our Savior. And so my prayer today is that if there's anyone here who hasn't experienced that, that today they would step over that line of commitment and receive Christ as their Savior and begin to live the way God has created you to live and thus find that ultimate eternal fulfillment that God meant us all to have. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with these wild and crazy stories, and they so emphasize your sovereignty and that we can see that the only heroes in the Bible are you, Lord, and not us. It's not about people. We don't worship heroes that are people. We worship the Lord who has saved us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Hey! <laughs> Thank you.